thank you. Please feel free to keep wreath making. You don't need to listen too attentively um, while I, I chat about the greatest story ever told. So this is a picture of my family. And um, if you were to ask my little cutie babes uh, about Christmas, they would tell you that it's the greatest story ever told. And I would agree. Um, if we zoom out a bit further, you can see these are my uh, parents um, on the side there and my in-laws. And if we were to keep zooming out, uh, we would be able to go back into my grandparents and my great-grandparents um, who have lots of interesting stories um, of being um, in the war. I have, you know, German and British and all kinds of things. Um, but the purpose of showing you this is actually as an illustration that when we zoom out, we're able to understand the present more clearly. And so I'm going to attempt to do that uh, in this way. This is just a quick nerd slide. I am an English teacher. I don't know if anyone here did Literary Worlds Extension 1. Any hands? I'm on my own. That's okay. Um, and basically, I have to spend my time... Uh, well, I love to, it's explaining that an author created a text within the context of the world that they lived in and that we as readers engage with that and then it's a bit like Inception, inside the text is a world and inside uh, those characters' worlds is their interior. Don't worry about that too much, that'll only appeal to 5% of you, but that's okay. <laughs> so, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to attempt to uh, look at the wreath in this method. So if you heard Telena speak two years ago, um, she mentioned that wreaths are prevalent in um, Greek and Roman cultures and they're a symbol of victory. So we, you know, you can think of the Olympics, stuff like that. And when I came to think about the wreath making night, I really did wonder what we're doing. So why are 21st century Western people making wreaths at Christmas if it's a Greco-Roman tradition? And so I wanted to zoom out and try and understand what we're doing. Um, here we are, there they were, and now and we're putting ours on our door, so that's also odd. Um, <laughs> and it just so happens that the way that we understand it is by understanding the greatest story ever told, including Christmas. So, um, now I want to preface this by saying you might not see God as the author of reality. That's totally fine. I just happen to. So, in my worldview, it says that even before God made the world, that's how far back I'm going to go, he had a plan and it was a plan to adopt us because um, he is the ultimate author of history it's his story and actually he's called an author more than once so before he even makes the universe he's already planned to do so and he loves us and so here we are uh, and we live in this perfect reality with God um, but for, for love to function properly there's got to be choice otherwise it's not love it's, it's just, you know, we're like robots. And of course, um, that's when we make different choices. Now, just a quick note on um, 
Adam and Eve, is what we call eschatologically neutral, which means doesn't really matter if you think it's mythopoetic or real. The meaning is the same, doesn't affect the meaning of, of, of things. But I want to say this, sometimes um, in church there can be big words that seem a bit scary, but it really just means we make choice to do stuff our way, and if I was Eve, I would have too, because I'm a pretty flawed human being. Um, and all that, that happens is uh, that, that there has to be, like all good stories, a really good redemption. So, like we looked at, before God makes the world, he knows all of this is going to happen and he has a plan in store. So, if we had this author and the text, here's my nerd slide, and, and a reader in a context, if we think of everything in the world reflects the ultimate reality of the person who made it, then we can understand that God is the author of reality, that we actually live in the context of his story and that, um, and that what he's most concerned with is the very, very heart of the narrative, which is the, our heart, the interior. That's the real story going on in the universe. So, in the greatest story ever told, we've got a nice orientation. God decides to make us. But there's this big complication. The biggest, baddest villain you ever saw, sin, death, Satan. But there are some really good prophecies about what will happen next. So, um, in case, in, in case, uh, in case the Bible seems made up to you, which is fair, um, it's not. It was written by 40 different authors on 40 different continents over 1,500 years. But one of the things that's really amazing are all these prophecies that are written before they come to pass. So it says that this saviour of this story is going to be um, conceived by a virgin, born in Bethlehem, Ephrata, pierced, and he's going to fix the problem. So here we are, and this is where the Christmas story comes in. Shabbat Kulun.
And so little baby Jesus, our um, saviour in the story, grows up and he's a bit of a hero because he lives a perfect life. But then there's the best, most terrible plot twist you can imagine in this story until the greatest redemption where he rises again. And... When you look at this story and the way that it provides um, a reunification of God's family and the adoption that he said that he'd do before he created the world, before things went bad, before he provided the redemption through the saviour that he said he would do, it's actually that bigger context, it's the greatest story, not just in our world, but eternally. And so it's the greatest and truest story ever told with the greatest mystery revealed in fact there are um, over 300 references in the old testament that are fulfilled in the new testament and he's the greatest hero and he defeats the greatest villain he's got the greatest plot twists it's the greatest redemption story it's the greatest love story it's the greatest choose your own adventure uh, while you're here and it's the story that never ends because we will get to live with the author of life forever so, back to our question. Why are we making these wreaths? Well, Rome, where Jesus was crucified, uh, went on to persecute Christians for a long time, put them in gladiator rings and all, all, all kinds of things. But um, Constantine became a Christian and he stopped the persecution of Christians in Rome and uh, started to build churches instead. And you can see that um, those crowns of thorns are replaced with this wreath of victory, and you can see that in um, the pieces that we have from the early church as well, that they put the wreath of victory, which was important in their culture, and they made it about the true hero, Jesus. And so I love that one of the wreath above the Roman soldiers um, that had crucified Jesus, that that the victory really did go to our best hero or um, to signify everlasting life. So if you look back and you look at how wreaths are transformed into Christian culture, then that's the greatest story ever told. <laughs>